Hello, world, and welcome to another fun, fun episode of Here's a Guy. I'm Alex, coming to you from St. Louis, and I am joined by my usual fascinating cast of characters, the first of which is Cody, coming to us from Illinois. Cody, what's up with you? Not a whole lot. Um, uh, we talked about last week, my, uh, my cat was uh, basically having a fear and loathing in Las Vegas exper- experience, and uh, but she has since made a full recovery, so... Uh, Everybody's doing okay around here. Well, that's good to know. Um, speaking of people with uh, small creatures in the household who <laughs> are very cute but make life difficult, well, we have Jack John coming to us from Indianapolis. Jack John, what's up with you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm riding a rare sports high for me. Uh, my Florida Atlantic Owls are in the um, Final oh, yeah. Four this weekend, and it's WrestleMania weekend, so I'm yep. I'm living potentially my best life. Uh, right now. So I, I meant to ask you about this. How long have you been an FAU fan? Since mid 2020, I think late 2019. It okay. started as a meme and it just kind of built into something I genuinely enjoyed. So in NCAA 13, the football game, uh, FAU was like one of the worst colleges to pick from. And I always mm-hmm. like to like pick my franchise based on like the worst record teams. And then I started playing NCAA 14 and just carried that over. And then just ended up loving the team based on how much I was playing with them. And it just kind of snowballed from there. So I do have previous years of data that say I've been an FAU fan. Okay. I have owned an FAU shirt. I'm here for it. Interesting. FAU always has interesting coaches, at least for the football program. So Lane Kiffin coached there at one point, I think. Willie Taggart. Um, I'm not sure. Who, who's the head football coach right now? Jack John, I feel like this is a you question. You know what? Honestly, I don't oh, know. Oh, my God. It's Tom Herman. <laughs> Holy oh. shit. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Holy I know fuck. Willie, I know Willie Taggart completely flamed out there, so. He was just, um, was he not just doing something else here recently? No? I mean, <laughs> he's kind of been, he's kind of just been waiting for a chance, but, um. Anyway, well, well, thoughts out to FAU and their their head coach Tom Herman. But I was very happy for you with the basketball program. Yeah. I happened to win my uh, bracket pool by virtue of being literally the only person to get any Final Four team correct, and I had <laughs> one Final Four team correct, and that was Miami. So I won my Discord one by one point, and that's because everyone kept picking Alabama or Purdue or um, any of those schools. So I just won on technicality as well. I mean, fair enough. I mean, winning on a technicality is, is yeah. like a pretty fun way of winning, you know. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing fine also. Not that either of you asked. Uh, right before we started, <laughs> I, I had what was, uh, and I, I'm mainly mentioning this for Pookie's sake because I know he's listening. Pookie, I just had an experience that I don't think I've ever had before where I sampled two beers in a row and didn't like either of them. I sampled a pistachio cream ale from someplace in Iowa. Hated it. I tried a, an imitation Kolsch from a brewery in Chicago. Hated it. But now I'm on to a uh, winter ale from a brewery in Maryland. And it's pretty good. So um, so there you go. You're, you're very cultured with your beers. I, I appreciate that they're not all just from the same area. Yeah, cultured. That's one way of putting it. <laughs> um, it's a nicer way of putting it than, you know, whatever's Whatever's cheap at the <laughs> at the liquor store that that my mom bought and then yeah. gives to us because she doesn't drink beer. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, 
So we, we uh, got some business to deal with up top as we've been doing the last few weeks. Let's get an update on March Hagness. I'm um, really going to try and squeeze these in because it's been going kind of slow, admittedly, because uh, I kind of forget to do it on the weekend. But um, before dipshit Elon Musk uh, uh, only allows blue checks to do it, because I'm not paying $8 for this horse shit. You're, you'll, um, so let's get an update on the voting since last time. Last time, I believe we just updated um, on... Um, uh, the Sweet 16 from the Athletes region. So let's get... We have Sweet 16s from another couple regions, one of which is the Villains region, where, of course, uh, unsurprisingly, Giuseppe Zangara absolutely blew out the golf hole pooper. Um, <laughs> Titus that, Oates... That, that, please, nobody clip that audio. Yeah. Or do. <laughs> that, that, that one will go into the eventual... I was trying to um, use reverse psychology there, but uh, but all right. <laughs> That one will go into the eventual uh, uh, here's a guy out of context. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Titus Oates just squeaked out a victory over Byron Lotax Looper in a matchup of absolute goddamn titans. Thomas Blood narrowly defeated Bob Potter. Ooh. And uh, in one of our Cinderella runs, the fucking Varg Vikernes, who is back all over Twitter today, <laughs> defeated... Uh, Thomas Midgley Jr. in a pretty impressive victory. So I wonder if uh, Varg is wilding out on Twitter again just to uh, help campaign for winning March Hagness because he, I mean, he's coming in as a 13 seed. The fact that yeah. he's even still here, pretty remarkable. Yeah. yeah, real, real grassroots Cinderella, Cinderella run. You know, you got the, you got the world behind you on this one. This is a, this is a reference that, as far as people who listen to the show, I think only John Fleming will appreciate. But, um. Back in the day, like back when I was in law school, um, we did a, me and a few other people, we collaborated on a, um, this is during the days of like the shit account tourney on Twitter. We did a Cardinals Twitter shit account tournament. And one of the guys, like while the tournament was going on, had an incident where um, he got into an argument with a guy online and like they showed up to meet each other and he pulled a gun on him. So that oh guy ran away with the, with the tournament. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes these things just happen. So, um, but Varg is yeah. running, going to run into a pretty, yeah. pretty damn big challenge in the Sweet 16 because yeah. he has up against Giuseppe Zangara. Yeah. Luckily for for him and for us, probably most of the shit bags we cover are already dead. So True. unless we have a, like a Pope Formosus where he's just going to come back, yeah, uh, I think we're clear. <laughs> well, more on him in a minute. Um, so the Sweet 16 for the villains region, which um, um, these are all going to be coming up in the next few days. Um, Giuseppe Zangara versus Varg Fikernes and Titus Oates versus Thomas Blood, two of uh, Cody's most iconic segments. Yeah, those uh, two have enough in there. common that I really want to see who wins that slugfest because I'm just every time we look at one of these matchups, I picture those two people in a room together. Oh my God, can you imagine what would happen if you let Titus and Thomas Blood hang out for like two hours? Oh, God, you imagine the schemes. Think of yeah, the schemes. The scheming. <laughs> yeah. It's it's one of those things where like you lock them in the room and you're like, OK, I'm going to wait an hour. One of them is going to be alive. I'll go check on them. And you open up the door and they're both missing. And now you realize that you need to fear for your own life instead. And Thomas Blood just talking about all of the schemes and all of the different ways he's failed. And Titus like, no, no, I'll tell you who you need to fuck with. I've got the stupidest collection of human beings on the planet that I'm dealing with over here. They have allowed me to do all of this insane shit completely unchecked. You come over here, son, you're going to make it big. 
Um, so on to the history region. We also had our Sweet 16 matchup set. There were two ties. Um, Lord Timothy Dexter and, and Sutomu Yamaguchi tied. Uh, Dexter won the coin flip tiebreaker, just narrowly, narrowly avoiding uh, getting defeated by uh, uh, the nine seed. So he will advance. That one shocked me that it was a tie. I thought Timothy Dexter would would clean up there, but uh, apparently... The viewers, they they respond or listeners, they responded to Mr. Yamaguchi, and he's uh, making a good case for a higher seed next year, I would think. Um, number two, uh, the two seed Diogenes um, defeated Alice Roosevelt to advance. We had another tie. Um, one of our other potential Cinderellas, Pope Formosus, tied with Governor Morris, the <laughs> who, of course, the founding father, who died by shoving a whalebone up his own cock. Uh, unfortunately, Governor Morris won the coin flip there, so. Uh, he advances, and then in a resounding victory, Yelena Mazonic defeated Charles Domery. So, sweet 16 matchups there. Um, Lord Timothy Dexter will hopefully shake off his near defeat um, to face off with the the suddenly hot Yelena Mazonic, and then Diogenes versus Governor Morris. Um, that a, one a is the one that I am looking <laughs> forward to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just telling Jack John... It's it's strange how these things shake out because Governor Morris was most famous, at least as far as this show is concerned, for shoving a whalebone up his own, own cock and then dying. But like I was telling Jack, the only reason Diogenes didn't do that is because he never thought of it. Well, yeah, he, he probably <laughs> never had a whalebone, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, who the fuck knows what was laying around <laughs> ancient Greece back then? But I mean, he probably shoved something up his cock at one point, yeah. just to shock but, people. I mean, Governor Morris at least like did it for a reason. It was just a really <laughs> yeah. dumb one. Diogenes yeah. would have done it just to make some really obscure point. <laughs> I'm looking for a man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So currently, voting is ongoing. Um. For our final round two matchups from the wild card region, um, I won't say I won't say how the votes are stacking up so far because I don't want to influence anybody. I will say that as of this recording, Wednesday evening, there are two ties and two blowouts going on. So get well, your let's, votes. In. Let's uh, let's at least give them the matchups. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so we have the number one seed, um, the Wizard of New Zealand, taking on David Hahn, the Nuclear Boy Scout. Um. We have the better two. nicknames in the competition. Yeah. Um, and speaking of nicknames, number two, we have John Leonard, the very first topic of the very first episode, up against Pope Michael himself, the recently departed David Bodden. Um, we have the three seed Sam Sloan taking on uh, number 11, Franz Reichelt, which is another really, really heavyweight matchup there, yeah. <laughs> I may say. Um, and finally, Poon Lim versus our, um, our Animal Battle Royal winner, Corporal Wojtek. Um, who swept his first round matchup. So make sure to get your votes in to get your voice heard and, and to see how those matchups are shaken out. You know what it I just be... realized? You know what would have been the funniest possible way for Franz Reichelt to do in this tournament? Would it would have been for me to make him a one seed and he just gets absolutely blown out in the first round? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Would have been poetic, I think. I do want a, uh, a quick shout out to Corporal Wojtek. Makes me so happy that he's on this incredible run. One of my favorite topics that like I just enjoyed researching. Yes. Good for you, Winnie the Putin. You're doing great. <laughs> okay, so um, before we move on to our guys, we do have one other piece of business we wanted to attend to. Um, we got 
a listener email coming in today from friend of the show, Jeremy, um, who always sends us very, very good prompts. And this week is no different. Um, so Jeremy writes us at here's a mailbox at gmail.com and um, you're all free to write us as well. Um, Jeremy writes, Hey gang, recently cartoons have come up quite a quite recently. Cartoons have come up in quite a few episodes. And let me just stop you right there. Recently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, in the grand scope of life and existence, two years is recent. I mean, here's the thing. All three of us are way, way more frequent viewers of cartoons than than adult men in their 30s probably should be as far as clinical recommendation goes. But yeah, yeah that, that's just a thing that's going to happen. But anyway, Jeremy writes, Hey gang, recently cartoons have come up in quite a few episodes, Arthur especially, and that's true, we have dropped a few Arthur refs lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the goons and baboons came up last week. <laughs> um, Green potato chip as well, yes. Yep. Um, it made me think about what cartoons, and more specifically, which episodes of those cartoons have stayed with you all these years. I feel like a cartoon episode's staying power is dependent on the person. It could be because the episode was meaningful, sad, hilarious, whatever. Here are some cartoon episodes I still think about quite a bit for one reason or another. Um, one, the Hey Arnold Christmas episode where Arnold helps Mr. Uh, Hyun find his daughter. The Hey Arnold Pigeon Man episode. And the episode of Arthur where he falls asleep on the bus. That one still rattles me. Looking forward to hearing your guys' responses. And let me say on that Arthur one, that was a fucked up episode. Yeah, that there. one really... Yeah. Arthur took some gambles and it didn't always win. So... Yeah, that that really... That one, I, I'd forgotten about that, but I do remember that one having an impact. Because, like, as a kid, that's kind of your worst nightmare. It's just, like, yeah. getting lost in the city, you know? Yeah. And I seem to that remember was the one of the driver being, like, super yeah. unhelpful in that episode, yeah. too. Like, he just kind of, like, kicked him off the bus. Yeah, yeah and- that one, um, that was maybe the first time that I remember viewing a piece of media and going, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you trying to accomplish with it? Normally, you know, as a kid that young, normally that wouldn't even cross my mind, but I was like the fuck is the point of this what do you you didn't teach us any lessons except <laughs> don't get lost in the city which as alex just pointed out is something we were already afraid of doing like yeah. let's just make your anxiety worse yeah here and and your xanax prescriptions on us when you turn 20 and to build off that uh missing hey arnold uh the pigeon man episode is iconic and else we'll throw in there from hey arnold uh, the Stoop Kid uh, episode uh, yeah. is always what I think of instantly when I think of Hey Arnold. And living on in meme lore as well. Yes. Um, so, yeah, what 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 episodes did, did you all think of? Um, I'll go first, I guess. So, for me, there were a couple here. Um, so, this is primarily, I'm thinking, kids' cartoons as far yeah. as this goes. Yeah. So, I, I've got... A couple of those, and then I've got one I'm kind of cheating on, but I'll, I'll explain later. Um, first of all, the episode of Recess, where they uh, invent the word womps. Oh, yeah. Not only is that just a tremendously iconic episode, but it was also the first time when my burgeoning suspicion that maybe a lot of the adults in this world don't know what the fuck they're doing was uh, at least partially confirmed. Because, like, you know, I, I think I stumbled on this uh, a little earlier than some kids do, but I remember a lot of the time, you know, something the teachers or administrators would do at school and thinking, that sounds like, that sounds really stupid and pointless, but I I guess they just know something I don't. 
And then I remember watching that episode and going, no, <laughs> no, I think maybe you have no clue what you're doing at all. Um, so that was a big one for me. Uh, also, as far as the ones that really like landed probably more heavily than I expected it to as a child, um, the Batman, the epi- uh, animated series episode, when they did their kind of revival, when they paired it with Superman and the WB later on that last season, they got real dark at points. And their Mr. Freeze episode, Heart of Ice, was one that was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Because the one... What the conceit of that episode was... Sorry for spoiling a TV show that's been off the air for 20 years, but... uh, um, So, he makes his big return, Mr. Freeze does, and they're trying to figure out what the hell he's trying to accomplish, because what he's doing isn't taking anything he's just destroying things of value like there was a really important scientific discovery there was uh uh, this big fancy mural that took this guy like five years to paint and like it turned out he's like oh i'm just really fucking sad and uh in in accordance with that i'm going to uh take away the thing that you fortunate people love the most and that was the first time i realized that that's why a lot of people are the way they are. Uh, That's the reason a lot of people are such pricks who try and ruin everything they see. It's because they don't like the idea that anybody else is having fun when they're just a big ball of misery. So yeah, that one was a, that one was an important one for me. Um, And finally, and again, I know we're thinking mainly children's cartoons here, but this one really did land on me. Uh, at a later date, because I think I saw it uh, a little after it first came out. I have a, as Alex and Jack, I'm sure, have heard me talk about before, I have a very complicated relationship with South Park. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Here's the thing about South Park. Those guys are extremely skilled satirists. They are very good at what they do. They are very good at taking whatever they want to feature and making it look like the dumbest thing in the world. But... That comes out of this kind of shitty nihilistic worldview where the stupidest thing anybody could possibly do is have an opinion. You know, basically the entire conceit of their show is just pointing at the audience and going, look at this dipshit. He thinks stuff. So basically anytime anybody uh, makes any push for any kind of major change, they're there to remind you all that caring about things is dumb. And I think the episode that really cemented uh that kind of complex because i'd kind of been mulling that over a little bit but when i saw the uh the beaver dam episode mm-hmm. that yeah, one what? really that one really was like oh maybe probably. these aren't good guys like yeah, maybe probably. matt stone and trey parker are actually shitty people that that's probably aged the most poorly. In fact, haven't they even admitted that that one has aged poorly? Like they don't admit that very much because they are literally doing climate change denial. I, th- I think yeah. that one even they admitted what they, but they I, fucked that one up. But. but every time I rewatch South Park now, because there are still some episodes I like, but every time I rewatch it, I catch more of that. Mm-hmm. So I tweeted about this a while back. Um, I watched uh, Sexual Harassment Panda for the first time in several years. Yeah. Oh my god. Talk about like what are you trying cool. to accomplish? You basically are just dismissing every sexual harassment lawsuit as uh, basically somebody being hysterical or out for petty revenge. Yeah. yeah. Not good. How about, how about you, Jack, John? Um, 
I also picked three episodes, and I kind of went for like three like episodes that really kind of made me feel something unique for the first time. And the first one I'm going to do was the first time I really probably had an existential panic attack, which was the SpongeBob episode SB129. Oh, where, yeah. where Squidward gets That's kind of like favorites. trapped. Yeah, it's iconic. It's from season one. Squidward gets trapped in like the Chrome future, and he's like trying to travel back. And it's just like this weird, like, liminal space where it's just uncanny and unnerving and you're just like on edge and anxious the entire time in a fucking spongebob cartoon yeah particularly the prehistoric part i remember thinking when i was younger i'm like this this has this weird i I wouldn't have made the connection at the time but now as an adult i'm like this is kind of david lynchy almost yeah it's very unsettling but you're not entirely sure why yeah spongebob always had that quality and i'm i'm gonna mention a little bit more of this when i get to to my episodes but like it it truly is like if ren and stimpy was fully a kid's cartoon it has that really like unsettling courage the cowardly dog had a similar kind of yes the very unsettling like ugly on purpose um, just to kind of invoke, like, not just joy, but kind of, like, uncomfortable joy. Out of yeah. Me. Well, and, like, the like the climax of the SpongeBob episode, he's in this, like, white void, and he, like, he just goes, I'm all alone. And then, like, this echo goes, alone. And then he runs forever into the void trying to escape it. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it's creepier than some of the SpongeBob creepypastas, yeah. Yeah. Um, for the second one, it's... It's one episode, but it also is like an arc in the series. Uh, I went for um, the third episode of season two in the t- uh, show Teen Titans, Tara, which is uh, encapsulating Beast Boy's um, romantic love interest, Tara, who we think is a good guy, who turns out to be a, a bad guy. And it really is that kind of like first like heartbreak I had, where it's just like, no, no, they could have had something. God damn it. Similar, very similar thing. I almost, but I already done a DC one in the... Uh justice league cartoon that big climactic uh finale of the first season when it turned out that uh hawk girl had been a mole the whole time yes yeah very similar thing and with her and green lantern you know very similar dynamic there not to accuse dc of recycling storylines or anything (laughs) but wait you're telling me that comic books aren't all original ideas this is this is horseshit (laughs) it's repetitive are you kidding (laughs) and then uh lastly um the first like real gut punch I remember, especially after like rewatching it as like a teenager and an adult, uh, I'm gonna go with the uh, episode Mother's Day from Rugrats, where we learn the oh, backstory yeah. of Chucky's mom. That's I yeah, just someone would take that one. That's yeah, one. yeah. When you learn that Chucky's mom had like a terminal illness and dies, and like left this poem for Chucky, and it's just like, why does this have to be so goddamn sad? This is a show about toddlers, like figuring out how to do toddler shit. Yeah. So for me, um. I think realistically, because like Cody and I, we didn't have cable growing up. I did watch a lot of SpongeBob because like we would get like the little DVD sets. But um, and like any time we were at our grandparents, we would watch, you know, Nickelodeon or, or Cartoon Network. But um, but, you know, we just had the basic channels. And part of why we watched so much Arthur is because like it was on PBS. It was on. Yeah. And Arthur, like when it, looking back, realistically, probably had as big of an impact on me as anything as a kid. And um, even mentioned last week, the green potato chip episode, which is ongoing storyline. Um, that really Arthur was so good at, at capturing like niche issues that kids deal with and that you don't really you didn't really get on any other TV show. Like we mentioned earlier, like the possibility of getting lost. The goons and baboons episode was all about like 
the crossing guard who was who was picking on like just poking fun at them for fun but like they didn't really understand how to comprehend that um but the the green potato chip one in part was like and and this is something that all kids deal with is finding out that like and and comprehending that your parents sometimes kind of joke about stuff that you do that's funny behind your back um because that that was dw's (laughs) dilemma on that dw who i usually didn't like as a character you had to feel for is like she just got something wrong and it was funny and you know her her mom would joke about it and didn't mean anything by it but like as a kid you get embarrassed by that kind of stuff and also of course the amazing payoff of fucking binky barnes of all people standing up for her and and making her feel better and just a real good you know learning cathartic episode all around and um the episode speaking of south park where they they had jack proletsky and they were all doing the uh, like poetry contest. Yeah. That, wasn't that the one where they did all the, they had all the little shorts and the different animation styles. And like there was a yes, South park I think and so. a Dr. Cats and a Beavis and butthead. I mean, just amazing. Um, also feature one of my other favorite Arthur lines, which is one of them is dealing with writer's block. I think it's Arthur, like trying to write a poem and writes the line. This is once upon a midnight, once upon a midnight cloudy, a big old bat said, howdy, howdy. Makes I me knew laugh that line was going to get dropped at some point on this show. I've been thinking that every time I have thought of that quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was Buster because he's trying to he was trying to write a poem. He was struggling with it. And he it, the example he was trying to draw inspiration from was the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. Oh, sure. And so he just tried to straight rip that off and it didn't work. What's great about that line is it sounds like it's one of the failed attempts at an intro for the show. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a couple SpongeBob will mention. SpongeBob probably did a lot to develop my sense of humor um, and get me into like very kind of absurdist, like dry and quirky sort of stuff. I mean that, and like watching, you know, reading a lot of comic strips, and our 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 dad allowed us to watch Monty Python. Probably had a lot to do with that also. <laughs> but um, one that really did a lot for me was the episode I had an accident. Yes, that is like <laughs> completely off the wall absurdism yeah i'd I'd not really that was by season three when they were really kind of starting to lean into that kind of thing i'd not watched comedy quite like that before um but i mean the 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 funniest episode of the show is band geeks i mean that's one of the funniest episodes of a cartoon show ever every fucking line every bit just kills it i mean you Mm -hmm. don't see that you don't see that very often is mayonnaise an instrument (laughs) I, I will say for the I had an accident episode, it also has one of the most jarring endings uh-huh. where it's the, the monkey, like the dude in the yeah. monkey suit. And you're just like, what the fuck? And then it cuts like, to like the family at the end and they just turn the TV off. And you're like, yeah. what? what? That episode, I think, primed me to eventually watch adult swim shows all the time. Because that's that's that was the closest that, SpongeBob got to yeah. an adult swim show. I, I will say probably the most jarring SpongeBob ending of all time was what I contend maybe the second best episode of the series, which was the hash slinging slasher. Yes. Oh, sure. What's the nose Something that no kid knows what it is. Oh, they just yeah. did it to make themselves laugh. It, it, one of those things where, like, when I figured out who Nosferatu was, like, ten years later, I was like, oh, the SpongeBob dude, wait. <laughs> Um, a few more that stick out. Cody, since you mentioned recess, um, I mean, there's a lot of good contenders here. Mm-hmm. The box was a pretty fucked up one, but the trial yeah. is is maybe my favorite because it's just such a well done storyline for a short episode of a kids show. Uh huh. Um, I one of my favorite shows growing up was Yu Gi Oh. Um, oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. 
and a, a few content like a lot of episodes stick out to me but a, a moment i really remember is in um the first season which really wasn't because like they didn't have the rules quite down yet so the first <laughs> season doesn't hold up super well but an exception is um really the later they got in the season the the darker things got yeah but where where yugi has the battle with kaiba outside of pegasus castle and at the end like yugi's got him right where he wants him but kaiba like goes up onto the edge of the castle so like if you if you know if you attack me it's going to knock me off the castle and kill me like that's like such like as a kid you don't think of moral quandaries like that yeah well even even earlier in that that season where they're like dueling the twins who only speak in riddles, I'm pretty sure oh, the payoff God. is that is like you either go forward or the other door you die. Yeah. And here's the thing. I'm glad you mentioned that episode because that spawned my favorite episode of Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged. Yes. Oh, that one's pretty good. <laughs> then anything with Mako Tsunami is, is pretty good. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not a freaky fish guy. <laughs> you throw one harpoon. <laughs> And um, Kuki is clapping at his desk right now listening <laughs> to this. One more I'll, I'll mention. Um, actually, a cartoon movie. This was my first experience, I think, with, like, go-home heat. Like, true disappointment was when they did Scooby-Doo Zombie Island, where the oh, twins said, it turns out yeah. the zombies are real. Yes. Yeah. That did a lot to make me who I am today. <laughs> the the yeah. irritable side of me yeah. really kind of developed in that moment. Like, and fuck so off. The, biggest, the biggest problem there is that the movie had been great up until then. Yeah. Well-written, good voice acting, solid story. And what you're just going to, you have taken away what makes this show what it is. Yeah. While that is a big thing, I think the bigger impact that movie had, if I'm not mistaken, that's the movie that introduced the Hex Girls, and that had a much longer last... Oh, boy. That, that was a different one, actually. Oh, that shit. was... Well, uh, around the same time. The, the, yeah. yeah, it yeah. was that same series. It was the one with Tim Curry in it. I don't remember yeah. what the name of the movie was. There was, like, back-to-back-to-back, like, bangers, because there was, like, those two, and then there's the Cyber Chase one, where they're dealing yeah. with, like, the computer monster. Mm-hmm. Like, all... Like, that area of Scooby-Doo is so fucking good. You know, yeah, the, the, the Hex Girls uh, definitely influenced uh, some of our taste in women, I think. <laughs> you know, now that I think of it, my disappointment in the ending of Scooby-Doo Zombie Island was the precursor to my eventual, uh, my eventual letdown in the ending of Now You See Me. It's the same fucking frustration. Like, yeah, it this, really is. This series based on like wanting to see, just have you solve the mystery and find out the truth behind it suddenly like oh it no it turns out at the end of all this like actually the supernatural is real bullshit that kills so, so i tell you what i tell you how scooby-doo redeemed itself for me after zombie island and that whole series where all the stuff was real while the live action movie they did was kind of a mixed bag it had the best fucking twist oh i could God. possibly have yes. imagined <laughs> That, Again, not to so spoil good. a movie that has yeah. been out for 20 years, but it turns out the big bad is Scrappy Doo. Yeah, that's so good. Who that got kicked real because has. everyone hated him and he was super annoying. Yes. Giuseppe Zangara himself, yes. Yes. <laughs> so that twist alone, that was like, alright, I love this franchise again. Well, that was a great prompt, Jeremy. Thank you very much. Um, We need to move on. But if any of you out there have any episodes of cartoons that stick out to you, you want to share, uh, shoot us an email. Here's a mailbox at gmail.com. 
So we could go on about that truly for hours, but that's not why we're here. Uh, we're here to talk about some guys, so let's get right to it. Um, Jack John, could you help me out, please? Uh, yeah, I think I remember it. It's uh, The Guys. All right. Well, Cody, I believe you're up first this week. Who's your guy? <clears throat> Getting into character, sorry. Oh, no. Picture, if you will, a history class in a medium-sized town somewhere in America. The kind of class 15-year-old students in a million towns across the nation sleep through or spend writing the word boobs on their calculators. An absolute pit to boredom. Until one teacher decided to open a door in his student minds, not realizing that that door might lead him straight to... The here's a guy zone. You know, I think Rod Serling is a really underutilized impression because really what you got to learn, you learn the vocal inflection, which how you do that is you watch as much Twilight Zone as you've watched in your life. And then you just clench the shit out of your teeth. Yeah, You just don't move your teeth. I, how I got the inflection, that was actually Troy McClure. <laughs> I, I, that yeah. is pretty similar now that you mentioned yeah. That was the closest analog I can find, and I can do Troy McClure, so... <laughs> well, there you go. <clears throat> so, tonight's guy is one Ron Jones. So no awesome names tonight, unfortunately. But, that's almost fitting in a way, because as that introduction with the accompanying terrible Rod Serling impression might have hinted... I thought it was fine. Tonight's story, I thought it was incredible. I was just being modest. Uh, tonight's story is one of the incredibly ordinary gone extremely weird. Oh, boy. So I know Jack John is familiar with the story. Alex, I do not believe is. So, Jack, I'm going I'm to ask you to keep a lid on it here. Absolutely. <clears throat> if you can manage it. Uh, Ron Jones was a teacher at Cubberly High School in Palo Alto, California. A pretty normal school whose alumni include the creator of JavaScript and prize-winning writer Wendy Lesser. Okay. Our, our, was... our high school's most famous alumni is the uh, the the <clears throat> naked fat guy from the cover of that uh, Blood uh, Gang fucking Bloodhound yeah. Gang album. <laughs> That's true, by that the is way. 100%. Yeah. We, should, we should see if we can get that guy on the show. We know people <laughs> he's related to. He might yeah. do it. <laughs> so... Ron was kind of your classic left-leaning academic in the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. and held a lot of liberal positions, highly disdainful of anything related to fascism. And in 1967, Ron was teaching his freshman world history class and concocted an interesting little thought experiment. The students at the time were about to begin learning about the rise of the Third Reich and Nazism in Germany. And for any of you who studied uh, uh, Nazism in high school, so anybody who hasn't been, uh, or anybody who went to a high school other than one in Florida in the last year or so, yeah. um, you will know that a very common question asked by students when we get to that subject is, how did those people allow this to happen? And more importantly, how could otherwise reasonable people be sucked into a movement that was so obviously pure evil? Mm -hmm. Now, Ron, like many intelligent people who have studied this part of history extensively, had a pretty strong understanding of how people can be influenced by the people around them. So much of the human experience is contagious. It's 
really hard for many people to do something that is different than what everyone else is doing. That just seems to kind of trip that yuck wire in our brains. It's just part of human nature. Especially if they're going to get pushback both from everyone else and the dangerous psychopaths running the government. So, Ron decided to demonstrate this phenomenon firsthand. He began what he called the third wave. No, not the ska bands that got big in the 90s. Ron planned a week-long experiment in which he would manipulate his students into changing their behavior and ideas using similar methods that the Nazis used at the beginning before they were powerful enough to just have the Gestapo goose step all over your face. Okay. So I'm already starting to see a problem. <laughs> namely, <laughs> namely, why would you do this if you know... <laughs> like, there has to be a better way to make this point, you know? So obviously he didn't tell any of the students what he was really doing or what his intentions were. He just introduced a new classroom philosophy over the course of the experiment one by one. He introduced what would become a full motto for his class once the entire uh, experiment was completed. Strength through discipline, strength through community, strength through action, and strength through pride. Hmm. And strength will set you free. Yeah, a, a lot of guys who are really into Norse mythology would agree with that kind of uh, kind of thinking <laughs> these days. Don't so. like it already. <laughs> and to demonstrate how quickly this could be done, he was going to take these phases in the course of one day. So that's one class period okay. for these kids. Because again, this isn't their only class. This is just their world history class. Okay. Phase one was discipline. He introduced very strict classroom discipline in which students were expected to sit at attention until the second bell. They were required to stand to ask or answer questions. They were expected to do so in three words or less, if at all possible. They were also expected to preface any remark with Mr. Jones. No, not the Counting Crows song. That's two 90s joke music uh, or 90s music jokes already in this topic. That's got to be a record. Yeah, I I like to imagine that like all of those rules happened at the same time, so you could only say three words, but also you did have to address Mr. Jones. So you're just like <laughs> when you need to go to the bathroom, like uh, Mr. Jones, piss. <laughs> a simple Mr. Jones, yes, would have sufficed, Billy. <laughs> so, and and hopefully I'm not stepping on anything, but my my big question, just big picture. How how is Mr. Jones going to succeed at this? <laughs> how can, how could he even theoretically succeed at this? At best, don't you get a Pyrrhic victory? There's no good way out of this. Either you fail or you've done something terrible. That's sort of the magic of it. So how he thought this was going to go is he was going to get through all of this with no, you know, no real harm being done and just tell them, you know, hey... This is what I did. This is how I did it. And everything was going to be hunky dory. Please don't. I'm not telling you that everything happened that way. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I figure probably not. This is here's a guy, you know. Yeah, this experiment alone isn't quite weird enough to land a spot on this show. So we're at day number two. This was the strength through community phase. 
He came up with a salute involving reaching a cupped hand across the chest to the other shoulder and told members uh, of his organization, so his students, to use this salute with other members of his class in hallways and other classes. It was at this point that he introduced the name Third Wave as the name of this movement. He then assigned students individual tasks to help the movement, such as making a Third Wave banner or recruiting their friends to join the movement. This was remarkably successful. Uh, They got 13 new students just after that one day. From all across the school. (laughs) A pretty upsetting level of early success, frankly. (laughs) You're going to want to hold on to that feeling. Oh, no. (laughs) So in just two days, he'd gotten not only his entire 30-student class, but 30 others as well to buy into a movement that they barely understood at best. At worst, they had no fucking clue what was going on here. They're just like, fuck it, I hate biology. Let's go see what world history is doing. (laughs) On day three, he introduced the strength through action phase. He uh, issued all of his members membership cards. And then he instructed some of them to report to him when they saw other members fail to strictly abide by the rules of the movement. He was surprised in spite of himself when no fewer than 20 students brought reports back, even the ones he didn't task with doing this. (laughs) Bleak. He and his students then held mock trials for those thought not to be loyal enough to join the movement, the punishment consisting of banishment to the school's library. Which, if it was anything like our school library, yeah, that really sucks. By day four, however... Ron Jones was starting to grow uncomfortable with just how well this whole thing was working. Starting to. (laughs) Yeah, you should be. (laughs) Like, do you realize what you've just done? (laughs) You were were so focused on thinking about whether you can, but you didn't stop to think about whether you should. Yeah. Just Goldblum, Jurassic Park, 1994. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, we know. Um, I really hope at some point he says life uh, finds a way at some point in this. <laughs> Fascism uh, finds a way. <laughs> so, uh, does it ever? Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. Speaking of Florida right now, yeah. Um, so, he planned to terminate the experiment early. The students, um, by this point, had started taking it upon themselves to further the movement. So, they're not just doing what Ron tells them to anymore. They have caught the fascism bug, and they are starting to think like that on their own. They created a bodyguard division to physically assault students who dared speak out about just how fucking stupid this whole thing was, and a reporter from the school paper. Gotta have the press on your side. Uh, Apparently, on your side means I just kick your ass, because that's what they did. Uh, Well, I mean... Well, look, he's a reporter for the school paper. I mean, he's gotta be used to it by now. Oh, I'm sure he's the most (laughs) annoying kid in the school, but... Uh, In this case, uh, an expose, I think, would be appropriate. So Jones told his (laughs) class, uh, because at this point, he's starting to think, Alex, he asked himself uh, the question that you were alluding to, which is, all right, how do I get out of this? Yeah, what's what's the the good version of how this is going? Where's the door here? Because it seems as though I have just accidentally created a real life Nazi movement growing inside (laughs) my school. Yes. Yeah, it, it was. I, what I've been Nazis proven, would have been without all of the racial stuff, basically. Yeah, it, I, I've been proven correct, but I may be about to pay a tremendous price. 
I was gonna say, I'm sitting here going, dude, just read them the fucking snitches. They'll figure it out. <laughs> like So what Jones did was he came up with pretty clever plan. I kind of like the way he did this. He told his class that this movement was actually just one branch of a nationwide movement in schools all over the country. And he would hold a rally at noon Friday, wherein they would watch uh, an address and a presidential candidate from the third wave movement would be announced. He, he didn't did the have to... Of, he did the School of Rock where he's like, hey guys, we're doing this thing and it's part of a bigger thing and we're going to go somewhere and do it. Yeah. So, and of course, he didn't have to worry about them not showing up because at this point, <laughs> like they would literally dive headfirst out a third story window if he told them to. So on Friday, the students showed up 10 minutes early to the rally as they had been ordered to. Uh, Jones had several of his friends there posing as reporters from the local press who asked the students to demonstrate some of what the movement had taught them. Just to kind of record all of this for posterity, get some pictures, stuff like that. When the rally began, Jones turned on the TV set in the middle of the room on which they were supposed to watch the national address. Instead, all that came through was an empty channel. Jones then turned the TV off, addressed the students, and explained that they had been a part of an experiment on fascism, and that by giving them the raw materials and the slightest nudge, they had been able to, uh, they had been coerced into willfully creating an environment that uh, hurt other people by giving them a sense of superiority to the other students demonstrating just how much humans crave this feeling once they get a taste for it and how easy it is for fascists to use that for their own nefarious purposes. That's a big part of what the Nazis appeal was for a lot of things is the Nazis position themselves as we are better than everyone else. Mm -hmm. Being a part of this makes you yeah. better than everyone else. And for a really sadly disturbing amount of people, that's all they need. He apologized for how far the whole thing had gone and then showed them a documentary on the rise of the Third Reich. Thus ended the third wave. Yeah, I, so I, I accidentally created this environment where people are just <laughs> mean and horrible to each other for no <laughs> fucking reason. We, yeah, now let's end that and go back to high school because that's, yeah. that's totally not what high school yeah, let's, let's watch this documentary <laughs> about how bad what you all just did was yeah. while you sit there and feel the most intense shame of your 15-year-old life for the next hour. He, he then ended the class by saying, also, you all failed this. Uh, I'll see you next semester in this exact same class. And once again, please don't egg my car. <laughs> so, Alex, it's interesting you say that. When I first started reading about this, I wondered, like, okay, as a teacher, I mean, how do you go back? What, what do the students think of you after you've pulled this shit? But, I mean, you know, he just did trick them all into becoming Nazis for a week. But... Almost amazingly, the students took this experiment exactly the right way. They were apparently a bunch of re remarkably mature kids. They all understood, and they didn't hold it against uh, Ron Jones. And he was highly respected by the kids he taught, because, you know, methods notwithstanding, he made his fucking point. Um, as such... When a few years later, Ron was denied tenure for being vocally anti-war while the U.S. was at Vietnam, his students loudly condemned the decision and held several large protests. 
In the years since, Ron has devoted himself to working with people with mental disabilities, uh, hopefully not uh, convincing them to join <laughs> fascist groups, but uh, he has uh, written several books on that subject, uh, one of which managed to get a recommendation from Oprah herself. He currently resides in San Francisco, enjoying retirement with his wife, and again, hopefully not starting uh, small fascist cells accidentally. So that brings me to my big question, and I kept this from you two up until now just because I didn't want to give anything away. <clears throat> you got a group of stupid teenagers that you're going to brainwash into some bullshit belief system. What's your movement? What are you making them do and believe? I think it'd be pretty funny to talk them into Scientology. <laughs> Probably by much the same methods. Like, I take them out on a boat and just tell them a bunch of crazy shit for a week or so. See if that latches on. Because, I mean, truly, Scientology is, you know, and I, maybe I'm saying this because I just came off listening to the most recent last podcast ep uh, series on, on Scientology. David Miscavige, yeah. But, like, really really as great of a test as anything about how you can you can convince people of just the the most unhidden shit on the face of the earth um but i think it would be a pretty funny bit and it might piss off some scientologists so um there you go uh much like your guy i'm going to think it's like funny and like not really think it through all the way and i'm going to tell all these like teenagers like if you can land the perfect kickflip you'll be immortal like literally immortal you cannot die and it's going to blow up immensely when uh, a bunch of those kids start doing uh, recklessly dangerous shit and die. Okay. Wasn't that just the social impact of jackass? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Oh, so fuck, I created Wild Boys, damn it. <laughs> For me, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to start one of those, like, paleo-trad movements where... I teach kids that, you know, very anti-material possessions. I'm going to teach kids that material possessions and anything that's, you know, fancy or worth money is useless and harmful to you. And uh, also anyone else doing that is both uh, harmful to not just us, but them as well. So uh, all of you, uh, all of your material possessions, take all of those and all, you know, every material possession that you can find, you steal whatever you can. Uh, and the only person, of course, responsible to handle such things would be me. So you're going to bring those all to me and make sure uh, I will make sure that they get taken care of properly. Uh, so basically, I'm just going to create a an army of like Dickensian street urchins that are <laughs> stealing shit constantly. And I will be their puppet master. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, I, I think. Uh, yeah, I think army of. Army of Oliver Twists is what I'm going with. <laughs> that, that will be a great story to tell in prison. You're correct. Yeah. Look, I didn't steal any of this. The kids brought them to me, okay? I had no idea that these were stolen. <laughs> Your Honor, it was a social experiment, I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> okay, well, good opening topic. Um, for a second topic of the evening, we turn to me. Um, my guy this week... And I will admit there is a chance that I am pronouncing this wrong. Is Yulionis Urbonus? Um. So first of all, we're breaking more ground here on here's a guy, as I believe this is our first Lithuanian guy. Ooh. Ah. <clears throat> this may be Don't the first Lithuanian guy. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, um, I was inspired to go ahead and do this topic. It had been on my list for a bit. Um, but it was because of our discussion last week about PC games from our childhood. 
I won't tell you yet just what the con- uh, connection is, but you will soon find out. Uh, Julianus Urbonus is an artist and engineer. Um, he's highly gifted and accomplished, receiving a PhD from the Royal College of Art in London. With that sort of pedigree, he could do pretty much anything he wants with his career. Uh, but the most fun thing he did with his expertise uh, was working at, a, at an amusement park designing rides. Because, I mean, think about it. You know, what goes into the construction of a ride or a roller coaster? You do have to have people with engineering and design backgrounds um, to figure out that crazy shit. Yeah. So. Yuleonis is a pretty fun guy as far as brilliant engineers go. Um, what else is clear is that he has a tremendous grasp of gallows humor. Okay. In 2011, the vaunted Science Gallery in Dublin put on a traveling annual display called Human Plus. What Human <laughs> Plus is, <clears throat> yeah, it's a bit hoity-toity, <laughs> like, science, artsy kind of thing, which is kind of how it sounds, yeah, you know. That's how I'm going to refer sound- to myself from now on. <laughs> not fat, that, I'm just Human Plus. That sounds like the next bullshit idea Elon Musk is going to try to sell to Twitter users. And it's going to catch know- on fire instantly. <laughs> Yeah, he, these days Elon Musk would probably call this like uh, this display like leftist groomer bullshit. But back in, back in like 2011, this is probably the kind of thing that like old, just like, you know, run of the bill, annoying nerd Elon Musk probably would have liked. Um, but the best that I can sum it up is that it's an interdisciplinary collection of exhibits meant to explore the future of technology and humanity. So it's like equal parts art, science, mechanical engineering and anthropology. Yeah. Cool. Very fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like what like you see on like the old like TV shows, like the Tomorrow World, where it's like, hey, here's what we think is going to happen in the future. And it's all usually bullshit, but it's look at. Oh, can I tell you my favorite of those ever is um, I have been looking everywhere for DVDs or like bootlegs of this. Um, when I was a kid, Animal Planet, they did a mini series called The Future is Wild. I think it might, it it was kind of in a similar vein to walking with dinosaurs, except in the reverse. It was like speculating on what animals were going to (laughs) look like, like well into the future when humans had died out. Just some of the most batshit (laughs) content you've ever seen. And I need to find these and like maybe they all look like they all look like if Futurama was hyper realistic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So. I get the sense with Human Plus that the exhibits, they could be for whatever the designer wanted them to be. Um, Like serious proposals or even displays that they serve more as an artistic commentary on society. Yulionis comes up with an idea that's definitely more of the latter. So recall that Yulionis has experience designing roller coasters. He once read a quote that stuck with him from a man named John C. Allen. John C. Allen was apparently the guy in the world of roller coaster design. He worked for and eventually became president of the Philadelphia Toboggan Company, one of the foremost designers and manufacturers of roller coasters in the world. Not toboggans? They might. I, they probably also did make toboggans, but <laughs> it, roller coasters was kind of their forte. You, you think it evolved? <laughs> like once people it got tired of toboggans, like, yeah. how can we get people going downhill even faster? They're... They're like the Mitsubishi of the roller coaster world. Like they started doing one thing and then they were like, what if we did everything? You want a washer and dryer and a motorcycle and scissors? Fuck, I got you. Frank, do you ever ever realize that our sales just plummet in the summer? (laughs) 
a coked out John Sound like, buddy. A coked out John Sound like Toboggan's a real hat. You know what's new? It's roller coasters. He's traveling wooden things. <laughs> his pants pulled up to his armpits. I'm just I don't know why I picture him like one of those <laughs> guys. I guess it's because it was the four it's because it was the forties when he started doing this. Yeah, so. he's 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 a fast talking, like PI talky guy. I like it. Yeah. yeah. So John C. Allen, um, he was responsible for the resurgence of wooden roller coasters in the mid-20th century. He designed nearly 30 well-known roller coasters, about half of which are still in operation now. His final creation, by the way, was in 1976. Cody, would you like to guess what roller coaster that was? 1976. You're asking me, that means it's at Six Flags St. Louis. I'm going to say the Screaming Eagle. None other than the Screaming Eagle, which is still in operation today. One of our absolute favorites. I hell yeah, coaster. love that oh, thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, when we went a couple years ago, it was um, uh, I think under repair, so we didn't yeah. get to go on. But yeah, um, but yeah one one of the most tra- it, it it the magic of the Screaming Eagle is that it does, and I think like intentionally so, give you the feeling that it's going to fall apart every yeah. single time you ride it. My favorite thing about wooden coasters is they beat the shit out of you, but you're having oh, yeah. so much fun. I will say the one exception is the boss at Six Flags St. Louis. That thing somehow is smooth oh, as smooth. silk. Yeah. Yeah. Love um, that thing. But yeah, the kind of like resurgence in wooden roller coasters. And, and just like you said, Jack John, the, that was thanks to this guy, John C. Allen. Um, like most people in that business, John C. Allen had a bit of a twisted sense of humor, which I, I guess you kind of have to. <laughs> if you're the kind of guy whose whole job is like simultaneously terrifying and entertaining people, like you, you got to have sort of some weird sensibilities. Now, imagine uh, that I was in a little wooden cart. <laughs> what would be happening to this cart to make me uh, happily terrified? Um, he once said that the, the best roller coaster designers are more versed in psychology than engineering. I get where he's coming from, although I don't think that's actually true. Um, I guess if psychology is just in like tricking the brain into thinking you're going to die and like your flight or flight sprouts, just like going off the charts in both directions. Yeah, his first attempt at uh, plunging the passengers into a cave full of live scorpions didn't really uh, take too well. <laughs> He had another famous quote, though, where he said that the he joked that the ultimate roller coaster would be one that sends out 24 people and they all come back dead. Well, that's real yeah. easy. <laughs> Bit of a twisted sense. No, like, well, not exactly. <laughs> they, they all they have to all come back dead. Ah, uh, see, the team the, bar. The, the, the trick there is in the seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> So Yulionis is thinking of what kind of exhibit he can do for this human plus display. And he remembers that quote. This leads to the creation of Yulionis Urbonus's magnum opus, a model of a hypothetical amusement park ride colloquially known as the euthanasia coaster. Oh no, no. Again, this was a Futurama thing. I'm almost positive. Um, no, <laughs> that's right this this guy Yulionis Urbonus designed the real version of Mr. Bones's Wild Ride <laughs> so yeah I, I public perception was already already going to be dicey for this but he really shouldn't have partnered with Jack Kevorkian to promote yeah. the thing so uh, and, and he presented it on the day where it was kids get in free day so 
for for those of you who don't know the meme, Mr. Bones Wild Ride, it's like a long-standing like internet meme and and creepypasta about something <laughs> that you could actually do in the classic PC game roller coaster tycoon. Which like the tycoon series of games were like really fun, but had like a, a part of the fun is they had an extremely sadistic side. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Kind of just do whatever to people. I, I never played I played Zoo Tycoon. Um but then like you could feed, you know, park guests to dinosaurs and shit like that. And yeah. But um any idea how much money you save on dinosaur food doing that? <laughs> Mr. Bones Wild Ride was this theoretical ride where the guests got on the ride and then like the ride just went in the loop. There was no end. And like people would just like starve to death. on the yeah. And the little text box would say like, I want to get off Mr. Bones wild ride. <laughs> so the difference between that and the euthanasia coaster was in the function and exactly how it killed people. The euthanasia coaster had a set beginning and end. Um, it was what happened in between that ensured the doom of all the passengers. Of course. Um, you can find the sketch online if you want to. You should you should look it up. It's pretty impressive. Um, how it would work is that it began by taking the passengers up a steep 1,600-foot incline. Right. Oh. Uh, <laughs> just for reference, the current tallest roller coaster in the world is King Dakot, Six Flags Great Adventure in New, New Jersey, which stands at 456 feet. Jesus yeah, 1,600 bumps. feet's like a quarter of a mile. It's actually a third of a mile. Okay. Um, <laughs> like almost exactly. Um, the euthanasia coaster would be more than three times the height of the tallest roller coaster ever built. That's how it starts. Mm. The and subsequent half of them have a heart attack. The subsequent 1600 <laughs> foot drop would take the cart to a speed of 220 miles per hour, which is close to its terminal velocity. <laughs> Then it flattens out momentarily before entering a series of seven clothoid inversions, each one a little bit smaller in diameter than the last. A clothoid inversion is basically when a roller coaster has a loop-de-loop. So in the okay. parlance of Six Flags St. Louis, think about like the Batman has a few of those. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you're not dead from the drop, you just pass out from the G-force of just spinning yourself to death. Your 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 thoughts on the right track there, Jack John. Um, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so what this combination would do, it would inflict 10 G force to the passengers, even as it lost speed. The oh. importance there is that 10 G is a lethal level of force for a human being. And I'm sure he did like the science of like the exact amount of lethality. Oh, yeah. like, you don't you don't want to waste lethal dose on people. Oh sure. Yeah. No, you do the, 20, they come back all flat. <laughs> the drop the loop in the cart. Mm-hmm. The drop through the loops would last a total of 60 seconds, during which, the, during which the passengers would start experiencing symptoms such as blacking out, graying out, or tunnel vision. Um, the passengers would then experience what's called G-lock, or G-force-induced in- loss of consciousness, as a result of cerebral hypoxia. That's a uh, deprivation of oxygen supply to the brain. In short, the short version of this. You would drop from a third of a mile high at insane speeds, then immediately enter a series of loop-de-loops, which would deprive your brain of oxygen and kill you. Heck. Yulionis made sure to add that at the end of the ride, the car would take a right turn, then flatten out to a stop, quote, where unloading of corpses and loading of new passengers could take place. Uh, and and like, 
Pay no attention to the giant pit where we're burning the corpses because we're going through too many to bury. Like, sorry, Why can you imagine all those corpses into the back of the restaurant? <laughs> can you imagine the surly, pimply-faced teenagers that have that job? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that's not worth the like, like seven fifty an hour in the summer. They really like, do shit themselves. It's like let's be. There's two types of teenagers who work at theme parks. There's like extremely surly ones. And then there's like the suspiciously overenthusiastic ones, um, and I don't know which would flock to the euthanasia coaster. <laughs> I was going to um, say the, the really enthusiastic ones just dancing around with a pitchfork, <laughs> bopping along. I, I like the the surliest teenagers I've ever seen at an amusement park were Cody. You probably remember this one of our trips when we were kids to the Wisconsin Dells of the Great Wolf Lodges. Um, in-house water park. Those were some surly teenagers. Yeah. They, they did not want to be. I mean, they were teenagers who lived in Wisconsin, so. Dealing with tourists, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, like, the amusement park where kids would work around where we grew up was Raging Rivers. In fact, friend mm-hmm. of the show Mason worked there, as well as a friend of the show Heather Simon, a.k.a. Lil Scooter, who writes for Viva Albertos. Um, she worked there as well. But, like, it seemed like at the Rage, like, it was such a like uniquely shitty job that the 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 kids who work there develop like kind of an odd sense of pride about it. Um, so yeah, Mason, I'd say like, or anybody else who who worked at the Rage or knew anybody who worked at Raging Rivers, like, um, if you have any good anecdotes about working there, send them to here's a mailbox so at gmail.com. I what I remember about the few people I knew that worked for Raging Rivers that were like my age is that it was concerning how much they were loud and proud about not giving a fuck about anything that happened at that job. <laughs> like, they were just like, they they were the type of people who should have been work, working the euthanasia coaster. It wouldn't have bothered them at all. Or like, surely you've seen the video that went around Twitter of like, because there's a wave pool at Raging Rivers, but there's a video of the wave pool in China that malfunctioned and just hit like, all the people in the pool with like a massive tsunami <laughs> and, and yeah. like, I think a bunch of people died. So it's not that funny, but like the image was funny. Um, so anyway, getting back to the story, you Leonis pointed out that importantly, the death the passengers would experience would be about as pleasurable of a death as you can find. Like passengers will experience sensations of thrill mm-hmm. and euphoria because of loss of oxygen to the brain uh, before meeting a quick painless demise. David Carradine begs to differ. Well, I was going to say, like, it's there's similarities to (laughs) dying by autoerotic asphyxiation. Like, essentially, it's the same. It's the same concept. It's choking yourself of oxygen. Like, you get your body gets weird sensations of euphoria when that happens. Yeah, I imagine that's balanced out and made neutral by the panic attack of the like probably like five minute climb the roller coaster has to take to get up there. Yeah. That is sort of the thing, like, because, like, if you're on the euthanasia coaster, like, the idea is that you're going up willingly and you know what's going to happen. Yeah. But that's, like, if you have if you have second thoughts, like, that's a, yeah. tough, a tough ride up that yeah. third of a mile. Yeah. You're just going through the range of emotions. You're just like, mm, did I mean to do this? I thought this was going to be the Screaming Eagle. Shit. You know, um, maybe my wife and I can work things out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Maybe I don't hate my job that much. (laughs) The exhibit went on display as part of the Human Plus in Dublin in 2011, then later was brought back at a subsequent Human Plus display in Barcelona in 2015. 
Um, the exhibit was meant to provoke thought on a number of different issues that relate to human life, uh, technology in the future, among them, of course, of course, uh, euthanasia, but also science of human life extension, overpopulation, mechanical engineering, space medicine, capital punishment, you name it. I mean, it was meant to provoke thought and conversation. I don't really want to know what kind of thought in the area of human population this uh, this engendered. <laughs> so part part of his like bit was that you know this could be a way a, a more humane way of dealing with euthanasia, or capital punishment, or dealing with overpopulation. Capital and Cody, punishment. Yeah. Now you Cody, like rid of the heinous murder of fourteen old ladies, we sentence you to this roller coaster. <laughs> I mean, that was the bit, and the yeah. whole thing was very satirical. And Cody, there actually is, he he reveals later what one of his big inspirations was, and I, I'm curious whether you catch it before we get to it, but um, sorry, Jackson, you had something? I was going to say, like, it, you could, like, sell it to, you know, like, prisons, that, like, you know, the electric chair's old hat. Um, what about the steel chair? And it's just like this steel coaster. <laughs> So it really did capture the attention of the public and provoke a great deal of discussion, which, you know, is kind of what art is meant to do. Um, a number of short stories, short films and songs have been written about the concept in years since. Perhaps most notably, the Museum of Modern Art's website published a point counterpoint between neuroscientist Dr. Antonio Damasio and Julianus Urbonus himself. And let me just say, first of all, a more insipid nerd slap fight you will never find. <laughs> oh I read all of it. Sorry, um, just just one more thing on the subject of using this for capital punishment. If you've been sentenced to uh, old screamy, um, when when it hits the drop, are you putting your hands up and yelling "woo"? I think I am. Oh yeah, of course, absolutely you are. Do, um, so every coaster has your picture taken. Do you get your picture taken before or after you're dead? Like, I wanted to see, like, the <laughs> maximized effect of this. It can be both. Depends it can be how long you last, I guess. <laughs> like, going up, you're really happy, and then you're just, like, at the end, you're just, like, flattened like a tube of toothpaste. <laughs> you you look like a basset hound. Your cheeks are blown out by all the air you're getting. The second installment... Your mortis sets in before the ride's over, so you're just <laughs> stuck like that. You buy an extra long coffin because your hands are straight up in the air. The second, uh, uh, the second ride they're going to install at this theme park is going to be a, uh, a recreation of the Biford Dolphin experiment. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, probably the same amount of, like, quick lethality and, like, technically painless deaths. <laughs> yeah, the, the real treats for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it like one of those, like, water, uh, water log coasters where there's a splash zone down at the bottom? <laughs> 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 that and like they set up stages like the 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 whale shows at SeaWorld where and all, the audience feels much the same way like you know this is entertaining but ethically I'm not real sure you how know, I should feel I, about this oh this you is know, not the kind of dolphin show I came here to see you know I, I knew we were going to be here and yet I forgot the poncho I'm going to have to wear these clothes home it's like a fucking Gallagher show yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so Dr. Damasio seems like a pretty humorless guy. Uh, his whole point is like, well, I don't know whether this piece is supposed to be some sort of science fiction or satire, but it's not fun as all, even as art, because it just glorifies violence and ignores how tragic death is. And I think the passengers would just be really nauseous rather than euphoric anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty insufferable. Did, did he um, actually lead a joke art piece. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I want to give this guy a wedgie so fucking bad. Yeah. <laughs> Julianus responds by basically saying, 
One, don't take this so literal. It's not meant to be a serious proposal. I actually don't have a strong opinion about <laughs> euthanasia one way or the other. Um, I just did this because I thought it was interesting. Two, try having a sense of humor. Just because you don't like laughing at death doesn't mean it's not helpful for others. Three, it's absolutely meant as science fiction and satire. In fact, a big inspiration was Kurt Vonnegut's Welcome to the Monkey House, where yep. euthanasia in that world is depicted as a patriotic duty. You fool, you uncultured swine. Like I said, a pretty, yeah. a pretty great nerd slap fight, these two. I have read that. I did not pick up the parallel, though. No. I also like to imagine that dude also critiquing, like, the next year somebody makes a death raid. He's like, mm, that's pretty impractical, actually. <laughs> but where's the pizzazz? <laughs> we need to get introduced this guy to Futurama. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> he, he'd have a thing to say about the first scene with the suicide. <laughs> Well, actually, if the options are death and death by snoo-snoo, that's not really an option at all. <laughs> so, obviously, the nerds can debate this all they want, but let's dovetail that into my big and question. And they will. Um, what, how, does the, how does the euthanasia coaster make you two feel? What thoughts does it invoke with you? So, for me, again, my sense of humor is fairly dark, as most of you have probably picked up on. I do think it's funny. Um, I, I think just that juxtaposition. It's so here's how big a fucking nerd I am. I was a communications major in college, and one of the classes was on the theory of comedy. Mm-hmm. And one of the big things we learned there was what's called incro- incongruity theory, which is a large amount of humor is just divine from simply putting two things that don't belong together together. And this is a textbook example of that. It's the fun of the roller coaster juxtaposed with, oh, I'm going to die. Um, as far as practical uses for it, uh, not really any beyond art, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that, uh, it is, it definitely functions as satire, um, particularly the way in which, you know, people talk a lot about the media's role in our general state of mind, but how, how much that establishment media whitewashes certain things and tries to present things that are actually very bad as either not that bad or good, actually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's what that speaks to as far as I'm concerned uh, in terms of what specifically they're satirizing. What a very profound and eloquent way to uh, talk about this. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I think we should. We, I think we should have this, but on very, very specific conditions. Uh, to me, this roller coaster is like a very fine dessert. It's it's rich in its sugar and its density, so you shouldn't have it all the time. Uh, also, I definitely to, not before dinner. Exactly, exactly. So I want this as like the World Cup of like roller coasters. You get it every four years. It travels continents, and only the select few who uh, have proven their worth can uh, attempt it. Uh, just because I want to see somebody beat it. I want to see the 16 seed take down the one seed on this. I want to see somebody try to live, beat it. So here's my question. Does it have a you must be this tall to ride sign with it? <laughs> I mean, what? what's what's the point exactly? Yeah. <laughs> I could see some good strength. So like, remember when we went to Six Flags and like, you know how in the Batman they like fucking strap you in hard? Yeah. And we went up. Like, your chest was big enough, they couldn't get you in. Friend of the show, Austin, like, they probably shouldn't have let him do yeah. it either, because he was, like, so, barely, he couldn't Yeah, it, the, it's an over-the-shoulder harness, and 
like it's it's not that I am too fat for this quite. Uh, it's it's not my gut that's the problem. It's my chest and my shoulders are both right. naturally very large. So I am now at the point where like it hits my chest and won't go any further, <laughs> and it's not long enough to connect at the other end. That yeah. did that did irritate me because like there should be a test. Like we just waited in line for like an hour. There should be a yeah. test like halfway through. So you didn't I'm just not going to attempt it next time unless I somehow lose like 100 pounds, then maybe. Um, so for me, like, yeah, on, um, you know, I, I think the thoughts it provokes for me are very like. Kind of. Yeah, kind of satirizing how much time humanity spends, like. You know, thinking about the sort of artificial constraints of like, when is it ethical to end a life? And also how ethical is it to extend a life? And especially for me, like one of my, my longtime pet causes has been like anti-death penalty. Um, like the reality is like governments who have the death penalty make this call that in a certain situation, it's okay to, you know, strap this person down and, and end their life willingly you know, through nowadays is through chemicals, lethal injection, but it used to be through firing squad, the electric chair. And so to see something like this, where it's proposed, like, here's a way we could kill people, you know, just put them on this amusement park ride and they'll actually kind of enjoy it before they go. And that that, you know, provokes some kind of visceral outrage because it's so out of place. I really like that part of it because really like, how is that any less silly than like just, you know, having four people shoot someone to death or like strapping them in a chair and electrocuting them. Um, I, I kind of like that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, but I was also going to say that like, what's amazing to me is that I, I think this is like the third art display that we've discussed on this show. And I think it's actually the least sinister. Those <laughs> two are like the Fremont troll, the like anti-homeless oh, yes. <laughs> homeless, uh, bit of artwork. One and of the, the like, angriest I have ever been researching a topic. <laughs> and like the, the creepy, possibly haunted horse. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, we never talk about like non-sinister art on this show. I'm just now yeah. realizing. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I appreciated those thoughts from both of you. Um, so we're two guys down. Which means we got one more to go. And for our last guy this week, we turn to Jack John. Who's your guy? Uh, I'm, before we get going, I'm going to pour a drink because I'm going to need it for this topic. And I'm just going to kind of do a little preamble while I uh, drink this. Um, right. Very nice whiskey because I'm, I'm, I I struggled this week. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain where as we go along. Uh, but here's a guy who takes us to weird places sometime. All three of us have gone to dark and strange depths on the internet under the guise of research and education. Sometimes for this show. <laughs> my next sentence we absolutely would have gone there on our own but because of this show we pretend it's for you people instead mm. of our own deep-seated needs sometimes it is i well okay actually you know what that's a lie because i probably would have watched gags the clown anyway i would have hated myself for it but alex i don't think would have yeah uh, i'll make a note of this now this topic broke me in a new way for this show Oh, everything will become clear soon enough. But let's just say in true here's a guy fashion, I thought this topic would lead me in one direction and my expectations very abruptly jumped the shark. Uh, that said, this is the first time in the history of this podcast. I did my research almost exclusively in incognito. Oh, Jesus oh no. Are you going to get a visit from a task force? If I didn't for the nuclear boy scout, I'm not sure what will, honestly. 
Um, all right, all this, pull up those this, rubber gloves and boots. Looks like we're wading into some heavy shit. All this will become very clear soon enough. Uh, but I want you guys to know I cannot unsee the things that I've seen. Uh, this podcast, this podcast could reach the heights where we actually start getting paid to do this shit, and I would still question uh, if what I did for this topic was worth it. Uh, with that said, let me plug my own Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash papajackjohn. You can sub for free uh, with your Amazon Prime subscription. And even with that small ad plug, this was not worth it, and I'm pretty sure my computer almost certainly is fucked forever. So in short, you've been warned, and you're welcome. Today I'm talking about Sheila Vogelkoop. Gasp. <laughs> Sheila was born in 1928 to Polish and Jewish immigrants. Oh, I already she don't was, love that. She was born and raised in England and lived a peaceful and mundane life uh, from all personal accounts. Although um, when she talked about in public uh, about her life, she rarely talked about her upbringing. Uh, so that remains neutral at best on whether it was actually good. And, you know, the whole living in England during the 30s and 40s uh, issue. Uh-huh. Yeah. But somehow that's not why we're here today. She would marry her first husband, Jimmy Vogel, early in life. Uh, my sources never mentioned a date uh, when they got married. And honestly, uh, you'll notice the first part of this. I have a almost disdain for me going through this. And I'm going to grow more and more angry as I go through my script. Here, just real quick. Does anyone else think Jimmy Vogel definitely sounds like a guy who can get you a fake Rolex? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he definitely has like the trench coat where he opens it up and half DVDs and half. Uh-huh. Sheila seemed to love her husband and uh, the life they had uh, uh, but Jimmy's stay in her life would not last forever he would sadly pass away due to an illness rather young and Sheila would become a widow not ready to give up on love and after a brief grieving period Sheila put herself back out there again and that's where she would meet her second husband Sheila's second marriage would be to a man named Noel Coop much like her first marriage, ultimately, though, Noel, too, would pass away due to an illness. But at least for her sake, after these two marriages, um, Sheila was able to live a full life afterwards. And now the uh, twice-widowed Sheila had a total of three children uh, from those two marriages, as well as resulting in three grandchildren and a few great-grandchildren. Okay. So far, so grandma. So far, so grandma. I mean, she's she's lived a pretty just like standard life and nothing that would make here's a guy lore yet. Okay. So what is Sheila to do? Well, when Noel died in 2001, Sheila was in her mid 70s. We're jumping that far ahead into her life. And she still felt that she had a lot of life to live. She tried to fill her uh, time up with different hobbies and interests as one might do when at retirement age. I know, for, ex- uh, for instance, my grandmother spent a lot of her free time uh, around this age uh, at bingo halls, playing bingo with her friends. And I'm sure Alex and Cody have stories of their grandparents doing similar things. Yeah. They, they did like their trips down to Tunica. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for, for our grandma, uh, our mom's mom, uh, her, her hobby or her pastime on the occasion was uh, playing slot machines. Oh, God, she loves She's one of those old ladies. Yeah. Well... That life didn't exactly fit Sheila's needs. She needed a new thrill, uh, something that she enjoyed doing and would actually get her excited. She needed the close companionship that she had from her previous husbands as well. We'll fast forward again uh, as um, a little time had passed, and then 81-year-old Sheila thinks long and hard and realizes what she needs to do to fill the hole left by her former husbands. 
So in 2010, Sheila goes out. I was gonna say I was gonna I was gonna hope we were gonna <laughs> gloss over that. That's lowbrow even for us. So in 2010, Sheila goes online and signs up to be a personal escort okay. at age 81. Unfortunately, that was going somewhere. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, here's the thing: some guys are into that, I guess. Oh, we'll get there. Oh, I hope we don't. And you know what? Sheila finds her market big time. She signs up under the pseudonym Cecilia Bird on a site called either Mature Courtesans or Vintage Vamps. Cecilia Bird. <laughs> I will say, that's a pretty good old lady porno name. That's a pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. good job. <laughs> when I told my wife about this topic, even she was like, no, that's actually a good name. Good for her. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got to hand it to her. That's good work. Yeah. Because like being a making it in the porn industry, like half of it is picking the right name. You know? Yeah. Um, but again, she, she was on a site either called Mature Courtesans or Vintage Vamps. I honestly tried to find both of those through Google, and it was coming up short for me. The one hyperlink that I found uh, that was supposed to link to it was a dead link, so I can't confirm exactly the details of that. Um, and it wouldn't but, take your credit card anyway. Yeah, um, but we'll consider this the first of many bullets my PC died uh, in researching this topic. <laughs> Um, but uh, one of the sources that did mention that link did feature several of Sheila's headshots. Uh, they weren't they weren't too spicy, more akin to your average uh, boardwalk uh, shoot meets mall photography shoot. So so classy, classy granny and lingerie. Nothing, nothing. Okay, too... Let's do one with the teeth in. <laughs> um, uh, but being the classy lady that Sheila is, or should I say Cecilia at this point, um, I do want to make a note. Uh, she listed her times available as 2 p.m. to 9 p.m., which is just beautifully old lady to me. 9 p.m. That's pretty. I was going to say yeah. she's the only uh, she's the only courtesan with an early bird special. Yeah. Now, this is all fine and dandy. There's nothing wrong. They always, with, had, to, uh, they always had to meet her at the Golden Corral. <laughs> the, this would all be fine and good. And there's nothing wrong with um elderly women being escorts and working in the sex industry. That is not the reason we're covering this. What makes Sheila truly interesting is a few things. Firstly, many publications who found out about Sheila began to claim that she held the title of oldest sex worker alive, which I didn't do research to figure out if that's true. Um, and at this point, I had already gone too deep. How the hell? How would you even determine that? Sorry, I mean, that is still illegal in most places. You... I don't think there's a lot of self-reporting yeah. going on there. <laughs> How old is she at this point? Um, she had started to age 81. So here's the thing is that, yes, because a lot of this industry is so underground, this is kind of one of those things where like, you can show me a, a sex worker of any age and I will believe there's one older than that. The yeah. stuff gets so like dark and niche. <laughs> mm -hmm. But like, I don't blame you for wanting to do the deep research into how true this was. You would probably need a VPN at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Which is where we're here to talk about our sponsor, NordVPN. When you <laughs> want to look up granny porn, NordVPN. We should get a NordVPN sponsorship. <laughs> it can't be that fucking hard. Everyone's got one. <laughs> uh, uh, many people don't think of sex work as an elderly person's game, and Sheila made sure to change that, at least privately in the beginning. See, Sheila never planned for this to be a big open thing. Uh, she found out that she could have the companionship of gentlemen to achieve her needs, and that there was a market of men willing to pay for a premium for uh, someone her age to do so. 
Do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. Sadly, Sheila would be caught out in public, leading to a slight controversy. While Sheila was laying low, she had a family member who was trying to do the exact That same year in 2010, her granddaughter, Katie Weissel, I didn't look her uh, much into her. Yeah, uh, was competing in the UK version of the X at the exact same time. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) And to her credit, fact about me. (laughs) (laughs) And to her credit, Katie was doing quite well. Uh, Katie was a singer on that uh, that year's season and made it all the way to the quarterfinals uh, when the news caught wind of Sheila's new hobby. Sheila was photographed at a hotel, and the article uh, was run, noted uh, by Shitbag Daily Mail, so take it with a grain of salt, which you will. Uh, but the article ran down Katie pretty hard, uh, and her grandmother, uh, as an insert for a bunch of derogatory sex worker terms, and how embarrassing it had to be for the family. Mostly just dragging Katie down for no fucking reason, and throwing a lot of unnecessary shade at sex workers. Grandma, you said you were going to the park to feed the ducks. No, no, I said cucks. <laughs> Damn autocorrect. That's the uh, that's the second most embarrassing like reality TV family lineage reveal that I've ever seen. Uh, behind um, Big Brother season fourteen, where uh, a couple du- dozen episodes in, one of the contestants reveals that his dad is the wrestler Sid Vicious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did Sheila's family do when they found the news? Uh, They did the wholesome thing that any family would do, and they did the exact fucking opposite. Basically (laughs) blackballing their sweet grandmother from the family. Oh, that's uncalled for. One member of the family was quoted as saying, this has torn the family apart. I mean, don't let it. She's fucking old. Let her do what she wants. I was going to say, unless she, like, actively has dementia... Who can you know, she's yeah. got her social security. It's not like she's doing yeah. this as a full time career. Yeah. She at, just kind of likes it. At this point, she's 84 when like the news breaks out. So she'd been doing it for a couple years, just like on her own. Uh, they also seemed more concerned about the heckling that was getting publicly. The effect it had on Sheila. Again, their 80 plus year old uh, other woman in the story. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just get the sense that the kind of families that push each other into going into reality TV are not, you know, the most morally upstanding and supportive types <laughs> yeah. of people anyway. So I, I can't be surprised. A lot, of, a lot of wannabe stage moms to kids with not enough talent. Grandma, you're fucking and sucking all these guys ruining our meal ticket. <laughs> uh, the only members of Sheila's family that maintained contact with her were one of her daughters and that daughter's son. So she kept two members of the family, but again, she had three kids, and they had kids, and they had kids. So she lost most of her family. Uh, I think they're trying to mend fences. They gave me tickets to this roller coaster at this art installation. <laughs> in in oh. fairness, they, they did try and invite her to Thanksgiving, but while they were uh, preparing the food, um, one of the grandchildren went to uh, stuff the turkey and then turned around and looked at her and just started shaking. <laughs> Ultimately, this didn't seem to affect Sheila all that much. She continued doing sex work, meeting her clients out on trips to the opera, going to see films and uh, dinners, and other intimate details. All the while, Sheila is making fucking bank. Her rates at this point are $250 an hour, and she boasted that she was seeing 10 clients a week. Hot damn. She's getting fucking paid. Give me an extra filet of fish. I'm making it rain in this bitch. That and all the press regarding her old age and line of work are helping get her name out there. 
In 2014, Sheila was one of three senior-aged women featured in the documentary My Granny the Escort. I, I suppose like that is a Pauly Shore movie. <laughs> I suppose that is a name that you can give a granny porno. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to lie. So I watched the hour long documentary and it's honestly very fascinating. Uh, it focuses more on the human element of the job rather than like the dirty sex aspect out of it. And I rec- recommend giving it a watch if it generally interests you. Uh, I found the entire video on Vimeo. Uh, YouTube would not touch this shit. Uh, oh, Disclaimer though. No. December, you, you are going to see some old lady titties. If you're into that, it's there. If you're not, don't be a prude. And if, and if you, if you, never mind. <laughs> During that documentary, though, Sheila talks very candidly about sex work and how it's given her a revitalized outlook for life and a little bit of rejuvenation. Uh, during the time of the, that uh, she's in a docu- better mood anyway. Yeah. During the documentary, she's. Eight weeks, I think it was, post-op from getting part of her, like, small intestines removed. So, like, she's, like, on the mend, but still just, like, taking texts from these dudes and still, like, trying to get eagerly out there. So, like, she's, like, like, this is something that genuinely was keeping her going. I'm just imagining she's at, like, her grandkids' piano recital, and she's on the phone. No, no, I told you I don't do doggy style anymore since I had the hip replacement. She's excited and even giddy at times talking about her different clients. My favorite moment, though, in the documentary is a scene where she shows them interviewing her one of the more exotic things she had done. One of her clients had asked to make a sex tape with Sheila, to which she obliged, and she got a copy out of it at the end. Was it in, uh, was it in black and white? <laughs> it was one of those uh, old crank videos. You had to like look at it through a... Uh, was it even a, a talkie? There's a guy <laughs> playing the piano in the corner. <laughs> Uh, as she's showing the audience a preview of the film, the man doing the interview very politely in the video will ask, uh, does this get explicit? Sheila sits there and thinks for a minute before responding with a straight face and almost like a deadpan candor. I think you'll see him going inside me. So so that's a yes, then, <laughs> to the explicit. But almost with like, as a like, uh, are we going to have lunch later? Uh, yeah, I think Dave's coming very, over too. Very matter of fact, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, around this time, Sheila would also do a few TV interviews talking about her life and the scandal that surrounded it. A lot of people were blaming uh, her granddaughter's failing out of the X Factor on her as like an added stress. And it's like, no, fuck off. It's all the assholes who couldn't handle that information. As if her being a sex worker had any bearing whatsoever on her granddaughter's singing career. Yeah. Well, finding all these pieces of information, I found the final piece that truly broke me and that I alluded to at the beginning. Here, here's a guy. I like to think that all three of us have some sort of journalistic integrity when it comes to what we say. Serious educational show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've had our sources, and personally, I try not to add anything that I find from a single source if I can help it. And if I do use that source, I mentioned that I found it in one place or that I tried finding more information and couldn't. Right. While reading one of the articles, I saw that another thing that upset the family was Sheena's role in a movie. An adult movie. Mm-hmm. By the name of The Great British Granny Bang. A play on what I can only assume was The Great British Bake Off. Yeah, that, yeah. It kind of yeah. sounds now, like you gave up halfway through your reference, though. Now, I simply did not believe this existed. I quickly that was Googled your the mistake. Name of, I quickly Googled the name of this porno because I just wanted proof that it existed. 
Several articles mentioned the film, yet nothing else was seeming to pop up. But I have integrity. So if I report on something, especially something this recent in the day of the internet, I want proof before I say anything about it. So I went to Pornhub to do some research. I typed the name of the film into the search bar and began to pour over the results. I went through far too many fucking thumbnails looking for anything that looked like Sheila or had the name of the film in the title. This yielded no fucking results. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to be on something quite so mainstream. I think that might be specialized content. I'll go back. You probably need a VPN to, <laughs> to, to look deep enough to find this thing. At this point, I assumed this was one of those rumors that spread from one source to another, an article sourcing an article that sourced another article. I found everything except for uh, what I was looking for, which, to be clear, I didn't even want to see in the fucking first place. <laughs> but I needed to because at this point, I had been searching for this for well over an hour. And mind you, I have a kid. My time is fucking precious. And also, this was ultimately Giffy the baby, honey. I was uh, the, the well, hunt for granny, British uh, granny bang uh, continues. Yeah. And also at this point, I was damaging my PC uh, along such a way that I can only assume to be LimeWire levels of computer virus. Should be smoking? <laughs> my searching was so specific, it dug up a tweet from none other than human thumb James Corden in 2011, which simply says... I love that Great British Granny Bang is trending. Oh, you do? <laughs> but each article I found... Naming the late film. night code. Do you like it when that's trending, James? <laughs> I like to imagine him just like seeing it trending and going, but is it real? Uh, but each article I found naming the film began to torment me. In an article on a website called independent.ie, which appeared to be some sort of Irish publication, I found something, though. The article listed the aforementioned missing porno, but this time with more information. See, the full title of the adult film was Freddy's Great British Cranny Bang. This was only relevant... From what? This was only relevant information, as this offended Sheila's family even further. It just so happened that Sheila had a great-grandchild named Freddy, to which the family took great umbrage with... And Sheila replied with, the naming of it was just a coincidence. So the family thought they named a porno after her great-grandchild. Yeah, this is literally uh, Freddy's great-granny doing the banging. So, <laughs> yeah. But I had new information in the lead to go off of. So I searched Freddy's great British granny bang, and I found what can only be described as a hive of scum and villainy, a website called Adult DVD Empire, claiming to have the film. Yeah. You so this is so obscure that you have to have find a physical copy. Luckily for me, I didn't have to pay to uh, to see or watch this film. I was lucky enough to find a site that had the film cover there, and in the center of all its glory is Sheila. The site all the site also has a synopsis for the film, and I shit you not, this granny fucking film has a plot and skits in the middle of. It. Yeah, I mean, this was James Corden's directorial <laughs> debut, after all. Yeah. There's going to be some quality to it. Still better than Cats. Heard the movie brief. Characters dressed as Laurel and Hardy, the famous British comedian duo. And oh, once... wait, wait, hold on. Pause. Yes. Yes. Say that again. <laughs> who is dressed as Laurel and Hardy? Uh, two of the men who are banging grannies. <laughs> Jesus. Another fine so mess like... you've gotten me into. 
So it's campy? <laughs> what the fuck? And in one other scene, we have Pavarotti, the famous opera singer. Oh, Christ. So it's like art house granny porn? This is all yeah. very highfalutin for what I think these audiences are, are looking for. And I have even more good for you, sick fuck. Uh, good news for you, sick fucks. For those even more depraved than I, you can rent this one hour and 40 minute movie from a DVD empire for just 15 fucking dollars if you really want to. I am not. Damn. That's crazy. That's fucking crazy. In fact, I don't believe you. You should send me the link so that I can verify that that's true. Yeah, if you don't want us to watch that, that is majorly paywalled. Yeah. Um, but if you're not sure, um, the website boasts that new accounts get their first 15 minutes streamed for free. So if you only need a little bit of time, you can probably watch what you want. Yeah, that's a that's that's a hag review we're putting like kind of at the bottom of the list. <laughs> that's like a that, five hundred dollar paywall. Like that each. no higher. No, no, that's that's a, I can quit my job because we're making money paywall. Yeah, yeah. That's if, a word, if for that's some a word. for some reason one of you rich fucks wants to want, really yeah. wants us to watch this. We'll take your that, money. That's a we ever get big enough to do a live episode kind of money. Like yeah, no. Uh, and Sheila would work all the way up to 2020, when sadly the COVID epidemic and science of dementia, Cody almost would slow her down. So it took the world ending and her own life deteriorating for her to stop. And sadly, Sheila would pass away just a few months ago uh, from this recording in late November of 2022. What does it say so, on her headstone? <laughs> gave headstone. Uh-huh. This um, time I'm buried deep in the ground. <laughs> six feet. No, I only wanted six inches. <laughs> so to summarize, I'm back for my paternity leave, and I wanted to ease back into here as a guy with a couple weeks of topics. Uh, I don't have the same time or energy I did months ago where I could sit on my computer hours lost in uh, this week. I wanted to do a light story about an inspiring sex worker battling ageism and her family. Instead, I went on a multi-hour granny fuckbang treasure hunt that led me to the online equivalent of a backroom roadside highway shop. I'm fucking tired. Yeah. The things we do for you people. <sighs> Share this goddamn episode, please. My big question to you guys. <laughs> Tell your friends, fuckfaces. <laughs> well, let me, before we, let me just say, my favorite part is like, nobody told you to do any of this. <laughs> no. It's one of those things where I'm stubborn and I started researching this and like, I'll be honest, like I did most of this work today. I had a couple ideas and I just didn't have the time. Uh, my kid was like having a rough sleep week. So like, you didn't have the time to back out. <laughs> I, I didn't. I fucking didn't. Uh, no, I was we're glad you didn't. I was no, watching. So. I was watching granny porn at eight in the morning today. Terrific. So my Nobody big question, that guys, line, please. <laughs> my big question to the two of you, what secret job does your grandmother keep from the family? So for uh, for Alex and I, again, I'm going with our mom's mom here. I'm thinking a uh, professional wrestler. Mm -hmm. I could I could see her getting into that. I could see her having some fun with that. And also, you know, she was the nicest person in the world, but she was tough as nails. So, yeah, I'm, I'm saying uh, she's the amazing octogenarian or whatever. <laughs> Cody, what what were you saying that the the theory of comedy earlier was? Is it incongruity? Incongruity theory, yes. 
Yeah. So that is one theory. That, yes. I'm actually going with our other grandmother, who is um, a very, very sweet, uh, small, frail old lady that weighs like 80 pounds and her health isn't very good. She's a bounty hunter on the side. <laughs> she's hunting people down and bringing their ass to jail. And if they say anything crossed her, she's blowing their head off. I like it. Uh, similar, similar to kind of both of you. Uh, I alluded to my grandmother would go uh, like every, I think it was every Wednesday night would go to bingo night. Uh, and my head cannon is that she was like a, like ruthless mob boss there, like fucking breaking knuckles, taking kneecaps, like laying the fucking law down. And she was basically a, a mob boss. Um, not to allude too heavily to one of my favorite shows yet again, but there is a similar situation that happens in The Sopranos at one point. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that was a pretty kooky episode. I think you all can agree. Um, mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's wind this thing down and uh, let us all get some rest. Um, let, let's start by going around the horn and hawking all our <laughs> shit. Cody, where can the people find you? Uh, first and foremost, you can find me right here on Here's a Guy every week on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Uh, you can find me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash uh, Here's an Adventure for the D&D campaign that myself, these two knuckleheads, and our friend Pookie and Kelsey have been doing for a little while now. We hope to get back into doing that before too long. Um... And of course, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Son of Gravy four twenty sixty nine. All right, Jack John, where can the people find you? I'm on Twitter at Papa underscore Jack John. I'm on Twitch at Papa Jack John. Please fucking sub. I went through a lot today. <laughs> yeah, let's let's. let's Jack John, do you need to ride on the euthanasia coaster? I I usually talk to my wife about like all the things that I do for the show, and while explaining this to her, I I I told her what I had to do and. She was just like, why are you doing this? And I couldn't answer her. I'm I'm de- I'm defeated by myself. Did she look at you and then look over at the baby and look back at yeah. you and then just shake her head and walk away? It was one of those things where like I explained what it was and I was like, I have proof on my like on my computer if you want to see it. And she's like, no, that's cool. Show you anyway. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Turpin for Prez. That's Turpin, the number four PREZ. Follow the podcast account as well. That's where March Hagness is going down. Uh, that's at Here's a Guy Pod. And as alluded to a couple times uh, in the episode, we have a mailbox as well. It's here's a mailbox at gmail.com. So uh, send us whatever you like that way, whether it's feedback, comments, suggestions, insults. Uh, we'll probably read it on air. So, well, what a what a fun kooky episode that was. Um, so let's let's put a real bow on this thing the same way we always do. Cody, do you have a tagline? I do. I'm really curious to see what fucking <laughs> fucked up tagline you yeah, pull out we, of all that we just talked about. We covered so much this episode. Yeah, we talked about high school Nazis, uh, a euthanasia roller coaster, and granny porn. A real banner week over here at Here's a Guy. So, mm-hmm. um, well, thank you all for joining us for this. Uh, we hope uh, you, you still have it in you to join us next week. Um, so let's bring this thing home. Cody, hit us with that tagline, please. Some grandmas are hookers, and that's okay. Good night, daddies. Bye, grannies.